Welcome to New Covenant Church. You're listening to this week's sermon by Pastor Daryl Finkson. We are so proud of you. Thank you. You may be seated. God has blessed you. Did you know relentless? I love that word, relentless. And a lot of times we think about our relentlessness about being relentless for something. But I want you to know God is relentless about you. I've got uh, a word this morning. We're in a series called Covenant, Man's Security and God's Guarantee. But I, I want to tell you that 4, 000, over 4,000 years ago, God started a plan that involved you. As I watched that video and saw you having so much fun, I just thought how God must be smiling. Because you've entered in a plan that began before the foundation of the world. God had something that included you that his heart was so big that he opened it up to you. And it's a story that's contained in our Bible. You know, if you have your Bible, our Bible, we're talking about covenant. Covenant is a word that we've lost in our day because covenant uh, is a word that defines relationship. It describes the terms of relationship, a binding obligation made through promise that defines the benefit and the terms of how God is going to relate to mankind. And in our Bible, did you know this book is actually 66 books? 66 books, and it is made up of two covenants, two main type of covenants. Uh, really, it's not type as much as it is. It's two ways of covenant. And uh, we call it the Old Testament, New Testament. This part is the Old Testament. It talks about the plan of God from Genesis to Malachi, about God's plan that was bringing to pass that which we now enjoy, which is the New Covenant. That's what our name is, New Covenant. And we get our name for that. But what I want to say to you this morning is I want to show you a picture of how God is so relentless that he never gives up on his plan. Last week, we talked about covenant before time. Before there ever was an earth, before anything was ever created, God made a covenant with himself. Literally, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit made a binding commitment, a plan, by which he would be relating to a people that he hadn't even created yet. And he bound himself to a promise just for you and me. And in doing that, then he began to act it out. And the next thing he did was create a man. But he began to act it out. All the other covenants. The Bible is one story of God's unfolding plan for you to be in relationship with him. And today I want us to look at how God unfolded this plan that he made before the foundation of the world. Before creation. And how God has carried it out and how you and I literally have the opportunity to step into the fullness of what God has planned. Today's part one. We're just going to cover Genesis to Malachi. Okay. That's the old covenant if we, the way we know it. But we want to look at the covenants of the Old Testament. From a heavenly perspective. And now what I want us to do is to just imagine we're looking at a timeline and we've just stepped up into the heavens with God. And we're looking at a timeline from the beginning of creation until 
the kings and the things before Jesus came. We're looking at a timeline before Jesus came, all the unfolding of God's plan that was leading up to the purpose of his son coming to earth. And there's four covenants that I want us to talk about this morning. The first one is the is Eden's covenant, the covenant that was made with man in the beginning. The first step in this unfolding plan was that God made us in his image according to his likeness. He made us male and female, and he gave us dominion over all the earth. But this covenant was a conditional covenant. In Genesis 2.16, it says, And the Lord commanded man, saying, Of every tree of the garden you may freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of that, of it, you shall surely die. We know the story. Satan comes along and he deceives Eve. And she takes of that fruit of that tree because he questions God. Adam then, by choice, chooses to eat of that tree. And man loses that which was he was created with was the very breath of God. But God had made a plan before the foundation of the world. And now man seemingly has messed up that plan. What's God going to do? How's he going to get it? How is he going to keep covenant? Because it's a binding obligation that he made with the son and with the spirit and with himself. And so God doesn't. It happens just like God said, man dies, man loses that breath of life. You see, the key to man's happiness is choosing to trust God, is choosing to depend on him. But man now has chosen not to, and he did die. He lost that spirit of life that God had given him, and he literally exchanged spirits. You wonder why the world is like it is? Because man became a slave of the spirit he believed, and he believed a liar. He believed Satan. And in that single act of disbelief, man handed over to the deceiver the rule of the earth which had been given to him. And now he's kicked out of Eden. God still in his covenant love loves man. He loves his creation. And he took and clothed man with skins, which meant that an animal was sacrificed. Blood was shed that they might be covered in their nakedness covered. And he took them out of Eden. Children are born. Cain and Abel are born after them. But here's the thing. In Genesis 5, 3, it says that, that Cain and Abel were born in Adam's image and according to his likeness. In other words, deception and sin are now a power in the world and a power in their life. Cain kills his brother. And man's wickedness begins to progress. And Genesis 6, 5 says, Then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intent of thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And God is moved to destroy the whole earth because of man's evil. Here's the thing that I want you to understand about God. God didn't, didn't create sin in a sense where you said he created the opportunity and man chose to do it. But I want you to see God so loves the world. God didn't stop there. How's he going to keep covenant? Evil. And here's the thing about sin. We don't understand. Sin destroys. Sin kills. 
Believing the enemy, believing the devil, believing those things, it will destroy you. We don't think it will because we're looking at it from our perspective. But God knows what it's going to do to his whole creation. And so God, out of his love for saving us, he cuts another covenant. He makes another covenant. He finds a man by the name of Noah. Genesis chapter uh, 6 verse 8. Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. This is, and then in verse 18, it's the first time the word covenant's used. It says, I will establish my covenant with you, and with you shall go into the ark, you and your sons, your wife, and your sons' wives with you. And God commands him to build an ark because he's going to destroy the whole earth with a flood. But here's the thing. The reason he's going to destroy the earth is because man left to his own evil will destroy it himself. And will destroy all creation. That man will be destroyed with it. So God plans a way that he can save mankind. And yet deal with sin. Judge sin. And so he finds a man and his family. Noah. Did you know that every civilization. Not just Christian. Every civilization has a flood story. Where eight people are saved. So God not only wants to save just the Christian, he wants to save the world. He told everybody has a story about this flood that destroyed the earth and only eight were saved. God saves Noah and Noah spends a full year in a boat he built with animals, two of a kind in that boat. And he spends a year and then finally the water recedes. It happened just like God said. It had never rained before. Now it rains. Then the deep gives up its water. And it floods the whole earth. And God saves Noah and his family. And after a year, the water recedes. Ark comes to rest. And Noah steps out of the ark with a world cleansed by judgment. And he recognizes that he's there by the grace of God. And so he builds an altar and he worships God. And God tells him to go and to multiply and things. But then God makes a covenant with Noah. The rainbow that you see the picture of. That was a sign of covenant in Genesis nine sixteen. The rainbow will be in the clouds, it said. And I will look on it and remember the everlasting covenant, the covenant made before between God and every living creature of all flesh that is on the earth. And God said to Noah, this is the sign of the covenant which I've established between me and all flesh that's on the earth. So next time it thundered, can you imagine what Noah felt? He had never rained before, but then it rained and it flooded the whole earth, destroyed everything. And now it's going to rain again. But Noah could look up and he could see a sign of covenant that God is faithful. And he says, Noah, I can be trusted. I'm for you. I'm going to bring this to pass. Now, you would think man would have learned their lesson. But you see, the problem wasn't what man did. The problem was what was in man from Adam. Man didn't change. He couldn't change. And within a short time after the flood, man resumed its old course and manifested itself in open defiance to heaven. There was a man, a leader, by the name of Nimrod. Nimrod, the name literally means the rebel. He wanted to build a tower to heaven. He wanted to make a name, a great name for mankind. 
Literally, the tower was meant to be a man making his own way in the world without God. And guess what would happen? Man would destroy everything. Man left to himself because of what's in man. You see, what we don't realize, the problem that, thank goodness, that you have come to understand, the problem is not that there's just a pro- that, that there's just sin. The problem is what sin does. Sin destroys. Sin kills. The ultimate act of sin is rebellion against God because you take God's life out of it and there's nothing left. But God is relentless to not let that happen. He's going to keep that covenant that he's made. Man didn't change. God comes down, Babel. The word Babel actually first meant the gate of God. But after God confused their languages and caused every man to be scattered, Babel became known as confusion. Confusion. Now. I'm telling you a story to show you the relentlessness of God to keep what he had promised. Now, man has now been scattered. They're all speaking a different language. They can't communicate. How is he going to keep his covenant? What's he going to do? How is he going to come through? How is he going to do what he's promised the son and the spirit? What he promised Adam, what he promised Noah. How's he going to keep it? And God chooses a single family, a seed, Abraham. In Genesis 12, 1, it says, Now the Lord said to Abram, Get out of your country from your family and from your father's house to a land that I will show you, and I will make a great nation. I will bless you, and I will make your name great, and you shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse those who curse you. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. God's telling them how he's going to be relentless to make of Abraham something that the whole world is going to be blessed in. Not just Abraham, but his seed. Now, Abraham, hundreds of years later, is a descendant of Seth, who is the firstborn of Noah. God is just keeping it coming down. He's being faithful. Abraham was an idolater. That meant that he worshipped idols. And God talked to him. God took the initiative. You see, there's two kinds of covenant. There's a covenant that's conditional. That's what Adam and Eve had with God. It was conditional. You don't eat of the tree. There was a limit. There was a boundary. Don't eat of the tree. They ate of it. Next, God makes an unconditional covenant with Noah. Noah didn't have anything to do. All Noah could do is respond. Now he makes a covenant with Abraham. And he makes incredible promises. God is going to be relentless to keep his covenant with Abraham. And yet Abraham's an idolater. So he calls him to leave his place, his family, and go to a land that God would give him. He says, all the nations of the world, all the families of the earth are going to be blessed in you. God's promising everything to Abraham, but he's asking nothing of him other than to just respond. And basically, in Genesis 13, 14, you find out that Abram just basically, just like us, he blows it. In chapter 15, God comes to reaffirm his promise, and he, he tells him to go out and look at the stars. And he says, if, if you can count the stars, that's how your descendants are going to be. And, and look at verse 7 of Genesis 15. He says, I'm the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldees to give you this land to inherit. And, he, and Abram says to the Lord, Lord, how shall I know 
that I will inherit it. Doesn't it sound like us? God gives us a promise and we say, how? How can I know it? How is that going to happen? So he said, God says, bring me a three-year-old heifer, a three-year-old female goat, a three-year-old ram, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. And then he brought all these to him and he cut them in two down the middle and he placed each each piece opposite the other. This was a ceremony of cutting covenant. And covenant is always made with the shedding of blood. There was the cutting of covenant, the dividing of the animals, except the birds they didn't divide. And the way they cut covenant was that they were making promises and then they would walk through those pieces, basically saying it's a binding obligation. If I don't keep my promise, then let happen to me what has happened to these animals. In other words, you can split me in two if I don't keep my promise. And so, if you look then at the next verse, it says in verse 10, it says, He brought these, and he cut them in two, he placed them, and then verse 11 says, And when the vultures came down on the carcass, Abram drove them away. What happened was, this was on one, one day, and Abram waits all day for something to happen. In fact, it may have been overnight and all day. And he's waiting for God to do something. He's done what he thinks God's told him to do. And then a deep sleep falls upon Abram. And in verse 17, it says, And it came to pass when the sun went down and it was dark, that behold, there appeared a smoking oven and a burning torch, which was representative of the presence of God that passed between these pieces. They passed through the pieces, guaranteeing the fulfillment of the promises that he had made. And God is the only one who passed through. Abraham was in a deep sleep. He was not going to be passing through. In other words, God wasn't asking Abraham to, to, to have to keep the covenant. He's saying, I'm going to keep this covenant with you. It was an unconditional covenant. So we have a conditional covenant, an unconditional covenant with Noah, and then an unconditional covenant with Abraham. Abram, as he's called. Now, God renews that covenant in Genesis 17. Abram has a son, Isaac, born of promise. Then he has Jacob and Esau. Isaac has Jacob and Esau. They're born. Jacob tricks Esau out of his birthright. We know the story. I'm also covering hundreds of years, okay? Jacob deceives his brother. He's acting like people. Instead of Esau, his father blesses him. And then Jacob runs for his life and he meets the God of Abraham and Isaac. And God renews the covenant with Jacob. Then Jacob has 12 sons and God has covenant with them. And then they go into Egypt. The sons of man, the sons of Jacob, they don't change. They can't change because what's wrong is what's in them. It's not just what they do. It's what's in them. They pass. They go into Egypt and ultimately into slavery. And the promises are being fulfilled. God makes a big nation of them. God is relentless in keeping his covenant. They go into Egypt. Well, what's God going to do now? Now they're a slave in another country. We know the story of Joseph and all that took place. God then finds a man on the backside of the desert that's been saved in a little little ark in the river in Egypt. His name was Moses. And in Exodus chapter 2, verse 24, now we come to a Mosaic covenant. 
This is the one we're most familiar with. When we think of Old Testament, we think of law. And that's what we're going to talk about now. But I just wanted to see the, the whole picture of God's relentless activity of unfolding his plan. Listen, that we could be where we are today. He's just unfolding it. I want you to see the faithfulness of God because the God who's making you promises today, he's going to keep them. He's going to keep them. And what you've heard him say to you, you can be sure he will bring to pass. So God heard the groaning of his people and God remembered his covenant. That's important. God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. And so God appears to Moses in the burning bush. In Exodus 3, 6 through 8, he says this to Moses. He said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look upon God. In verse 8, he says, So I've come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up from that land to a good and large land, to a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanites. You know the story, I hope. God delivers them with a mighty hand. Ten plagues on Egyptians. The final one, the death of the firstborn. Remember about deliverance by, by sacrifice. Israel marks the doorpost of their dwelling and, and they eat with the blood of the lamb and then they eat the lamb altogether and then the next day they rise up and they leave their slavery in freedom and they they go out and then they pass through the Red Sea on dry ground and they're led to Mount Sinai. And there God calls the children of Israel to a covenant. Now this covenant is different from the Abrahamic covenant. In Exodus 19 it says, You've seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant... Then you shall be a special treasure to me above all people, for all the earth is mine. And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are words, these are the words you will speak to the children of Israel. So Moses came and he called the elders of the people and he laid before them all the words which the Lord had commanded him. Then all the people answered together and said, all that the Lord has spoken, we will do. So Moses brought back the words of the people to the Lord. God initiates a different kind of covenant now. It's different from the Abrahamic covenant. The Abrahamic covenant made all these promises to Abraham, and all Abraham had to do was just respond. But now God has the nation that have grown out of the seed of Abraham. And Abraham is, is the promises of Abraham are still there. That's their covenant. That, but now he's saying, now I'm going to call you to walk in that covenant with me by obedience. Now, why would God want them to walk in obedience? Listen what they said. All that God said to us, we will do. Well, that makes pretty good sense to us, doesn't it? If You know, God just tell me what to do and I'll do it. How many of you know that doesn't work out that way? How many times has God told us what to do? And we didn't do it. What is the problem? The problem's not my behavior. The problem is what's in me that comes against what God is saying. And this is the reason God made the Mosaic Covenant. He made it with the nation of Israel. This covenant is made with the descendants of Abraham as a nation. He's calling them. Why? Because 
This covenant, the Mosaic covenant, is for two reasons. That we would know God, and then that we would know ourselves. And listen to me. God is not only relentless of showing you who he is. God is relentless in showing you your need for him. So God initiates it. He says, if if you obey me, then you'll be a peculiar treasure to me. And they say, all that God said, we will do. And they meant it. Don't we? Don't we mean it? God, anything you tell us, we'll do. If God will just show us what he wants, I'll do it. That's what I want us to talk about for these last few minutes. This is the covenant that we're most familiar with. We call it the old covenant or the law. In the Mosaic covenant, man had the opportunity to prove what he could do with all the aid and the means that God would provide as they responded to him through his instruction and through his blessing. There are three parts to this Mosaic covenant. And listen to me, you won't, next week we're going to talk about the better covenant, but you won't understand the goodness of the better covenant until you understand what this covenant did to us. The Mosaic law. The law had three things. First, it had a moral law. We, our Ten Commandments, Exodus chapter 20. The Ten Commandments, it showed us who God is, and it showed us who we are. Basically, it showed us how to relate to God and how to relate to one another. Then there was the civil or the social law. It was the system by which Israel would live in relationship with God. It's found in Exodus 21 through 23. And then there was the ceremonial law where they talked about the the sacrifices and the tabernacle and the temple and how they would be delivered from condemnation. It's chapters 25 through 40. God's giving this Mosaic law to a people who's been brought out of slavery, been brought through the Red Sea in deliverance, and now they've come to a place of decision. Will you walk with me and obey me? God has been relentless to bring them to this point. But God's not going to punish them. It's not about that God wanting to show them how bad they are. God is wanting them to see a problem. The problem that's in them that unless they see it, they won't allow God to deal with it. And that problem is the one that Adam got into. He chose to not believe God. And to believe a liar. And God brings them to a place. And here's what I want you to understand. That this wasn't a way for them to be saved. This was a way for them to live in relationship with God. The law was never meant to save us. It was meant to bring us to the one who could save us. So, the word law means Torah. Well, let me go back. Exodus 24, 6 through 8 says, And Moses, this is how he cut the covenant because it's different from Abraham. Remember, Abraham, God passes through the pieces. In Exodus chapter 24, Moses takes half the blood off the altar and he puts it in basins and half the blood he sprinkles on the altar. And then he took the book of the covenant, the book of the law, and he reads it to the people. And they said, all that the Lord has said, we will do and be obedient. And Moses took the blood and he sprinkled it on the people and said, this is the blood of the covenant, which the Lord has made with you. According to these words, this covenant depended on them doing what God said. 
God had every right to ask it. But what they didn't know is that the problem was in them. So what was the purpose of the law? The word law means Torah, means direction, guidance, instruction. It has a threefold purpose. Number one is to reveal the character of God. The Mosaic law revealed that God is holy. He's singular. He's exclusive. He's worthy to be worshipped. He's personally relational. He's life. He's faithful. He's true. He's lacking nothing. He's a provider and protector of everyone and all we need. But also the law was to intensify sin. The law didn't make us sinners. The law was not sinful, according to Romans 7, 7, nor did it encourage sinful behavior. The law was used by God to reveal the sin that was already there, the sin that was in man. Paul explained it in Romans 3.20. He says, through the law comes the knowledge of sin. Romans 5.20, the law came in that the transgression might increase. Well, what does that mean? The law agitates aggravates, arouses defiance and antagonism toward God. Let me say it another word, another way. Anytime, how many of you ever said, wet paint, don't touch? How many of you just say, I'm not touching that? Or how many of you say, is it really wet? Oh, it's surely dry by now. What is it in us that when there's a boundary set that we want to push the limit? What is it in us? Why is there something there that if I'm told not to, I'm bound and determined to do it? If somebody says you can't, why is it we want to show them we can See, God put the law there, put the boundary there, put the limit there that we would see that there's something there in us that needs to be dealt with. And the only way we're going to deal with it is that we see it, that we know it. And it's amazing to me, the more you say you're going to stop, How many of you have ever had a problem with breaking a habit? The more I say I'm going to stop, the more I tend to think about it and want to do it. Why is that? Because there's something in mankind apart from God. Now listen, I'm talking about apart from God. Because God wants to reveal. And listen, you won't understand the glory of the new covenant until you understand the finality of the old. Let it have its perfect work. What it's going to do is it's going to expose the things that's not of him so that God can show us himself. It's to intensify. Why would God make a covenant that he knew we couldn't keep? God knew it, but we didn't. Remember what that people said? All that God said we will do, we'll do it. But they didn't. And all of the rest of this Old Testament through the kings, all of this is the the. The demonstration that while they had it and God was with them and God was leading them and God would deliver them and he would do it over and over again. He was relentless to show them. They just kept on breaking it. It kept on breaking it. It kept on breaking it. It kept on breaking it. Because they had to come to the knowledge that they were not sufficient. They couldn't do it. Now listen to me. They never could. And they would never be able to apart from God making a better covenant. 
And if we don't understand that, when we come and when God tells us to do something, here's what we'll say. I'll do it. And if we don't know, I can't do it apart from him. I can't do it. Let the law have its work. Then the ceremonial law, the tabernacle and the temple, the sacrifices and the holy place and the holy of holies, all of that was an instrument of preparation to show us how we would really be delivered, how we could really be saved. It was Galatians 3.19 says this, why the law then? It was added because of transgressions, having been ordained through angels by the agency of a mediator until that seed, this seed, would come to whom the promise had been made. It was to prepare the Israelite people for what he was going to do in his son, Jesus Christ. The law was a prearranged, pre-planned prelude, like my peas. Pre-arranged, pre-planned prelude to the person and the work of God in Christ Jesus. You see, man didn't know he needed Jesus without the law. It provided a pictorial illustration, a type of prefiguring of what God intended in his son, Jesus Christ. It was the shadow of the substance, all of that other scripture. And it was a custodian. It was a tutor. Galatians 3, 23 and 24 says, Before faith came, we were kept in custody under the law, being shut up to the faith which was to later be revealed. Therefore, the law became our school teacher, our tutor, to lead us to Christ so that we might be justified by faith. The Mosaic Covenant was absolutely indispensable because God decreed it. It was absolutely insufficient because man couldn't live it. Please hear this. The law, you promising to do and you committing yourself to do, your commitment doesn't save you. It's Jesus Christ who saves you. And all of your failures and all your frustrations and all the things that get, that get up, the law stirs up. You know, you're driving the speed limit and you meet a cop. What do you do? Slow down. Why? Because you've... The law has its work in you. Galatians chapter 3, and I want to read this out of the Amplified Version, chapter 3, verse 21 through 22. It says, Is the law then contrary and opposed to the promises of God? Did it cancel out the Abrahamic promises that all the families of the earth would be blessed? Of course not. If the law had been given, which could confer spiritual life, then righteousness and right standing with God would certainly have come by law. But the scriptures, picture of all Paul, mankind is sinners, shut up and imprisoned by sin, so that the inheritance and the blessings which was promised through faith in Jesus Christ the Messiah might be given, released, delivered, and committed to all those who believe and who adhere and trust in and rely on him. God is relentless to fulfill the promises that he's made to you. He's relentless to fulfill the promises he made to Abraham in you. He's relentless. He's not giving up. But my question is, has the law had its work in us? You see, here's the thing I find. The better news is going to be next Sunday, okay? This is part one. Part two is even better. This may be boring, but what's the reason for the law? The law was given that 
transgression might be exposed, what was in us. And we don't even know it's in us. You see, if you leave something alone, what's in it kind of settles down. We kind of think if everything's going okay, it's okay. Everything. And I've discovered something. God often comes along and he allows the world and friends and other people to stir us up. And we realize that what we thought we had already settled, what we thought was already taken care of, is just stirred up. Why would God stir it up? Not so he could show us up, not so he could punish us, but so he could deliver us from the very things that we didn't know were there. God is so relentless and he so loves you that he's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to life in Christ Jesus. And he gave us those things that so upset us that sometimes expose the very things that God's trying to get us free from. Has the law had its perfect work in us? If it has, we're ready for Jesus. We're ready to be free. We're ready to be delivered. We're ready to know the fullness of the promises of God. This is good news. God is relentless. He's not going to let go. Why? Because his covenant love that he made before you were ever born, before anything was ever born. He loves us and he's not going to quit. And you've stepped in to agreement by faith with him. And he's going to fulfill every promise that he's ever made. And you can trust him. Look at the rainbow. Every time you see a rainbow, here's what you need to say. I can trust God with every promise. I can trust God with every word. Because he's faithful. Would you bow with me in prayer? Father, we thank you. We praise you. We honor you. We thank you for Jesus. We thank you for that which often frustrates us. But it exposes the very things that you want to deal with. That we might know you and know ourselves. That we might become all that you've said. Father, we pray that you would pour out you, your spirit upon us afresh and anew. May you... Reveal to us your relentless covenant love. And may that which Christ has done on the cross 2,000 years ago magnify in our lives as we depend upon you and trust you. Glorify your name in us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand together with me? We have... Thank you for listening to this week's message. For more information or to listen to past sermons, go to newcovenantlampasses.com.